pretzel that's not looked at very often, Jude. And you should find it in your Bible just before Revelation. The Epistle of Jude. And we're going on talking about fruit. You know, uh, in our lives God wants fruit. He wants to glorify his name. And we cry, and our prayer should be, as we've been singing, In my life, Lord, be thou glorified. And Jesus spoke and said, You know, my Father's glorified when you bear much fruit. It's fruit in the life that's so important. Fruit. Now, of course, I know there are those who would say, Well, uh, there's fruit of the spirit and um, what it means is inner grace well that is true the fruit of the spirit is essential but there's other fruit to bear too for instance there were the people that were given different talents now doesn't particularly say that that was fruit it was abilities and it was an outward thing because don't forget the king said when he came back you could have loaned it out so I could have had my own with, with uh, interest when I came back. And the gifts of the Spirit need to be used and operated. And then you remember that Peter was told when he went out, um, he was in the boat with the disciples and they were out fishing and Jesus came. And he drew near to the two boats, it says in Luke, and he got in and he went out and he told them to cast down their net and they compassed such a great multitude of fishes that the Boats began to sink. And Jesus' comment, From thenceforth thou shalt catch men. And God intends that those of us who love Jesus Christ should bring others to a knowledge of him. That is his intention. That we should bear fruit. We shouldn't be fruitless. Our hearts should not be barren. We need to bring other people. If so be, you have the reality of Christ in your life, you must bear fruit. And it must be seen. I've heard up and down the country men who make a lot of profession of, uh, you know, gifts of the Spirit. But what I ask them is, where is the church you've begotten? I remember a man coming somewhere over the other side of London. He came to visit the church and he talked about his experience of God and went on a bit prattling on after a meeting. And so I said to him, well, friend, I said, I hear what you say, but where's your fruit? I said, you show me your faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. Look. Where's yours? Well, uh, uh, you know, God hasn't called me. I said, look, forget that. Where is the result of what you have? Faith without works is dead. Said James in his epistle. You show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. 
there's a lot of so-called preachers who trot around the country. But when you ask, where have they built something? Where is it built and seen? Paul said, you are my epistles to the Corinthian church, seen and read of all men. People can come and see and they can read. This is what I built. He said, I didn't lay, I didn't build on another foundation. I built on a, um, I didn't build on another man's foundation. I didn't come along, I didn't try and build somewhere else. I built what I built because God called me to build it. Now, we need that in our lives. We need to build for God. We need to build a building, not of wood, hay and stubble, but a precious thing and fine things. We need to build it into people's lives. In that day when Paul went, he said that the crown of glory would be those whom the Lord had given him. What crown will you have in glory? Say, well, I'm just a, I'm just a simple soul. Well, simple souls are warned in Proverbs. The excuse of simplicity is a dangerous thing. Just read the first three chapters of Proverbs and you'll discover that there's a lot of curses for people who profess simplicity. You see, I'm called to bear fruit. And there are a lot of people that go around and they don't bear fruit. They don't bear anything. And it's a worrying thing. And we need to examine our hearts. Now let me say right away that you have to understand principles. In God, children don't bear fruit. In the same way in the natural, children don't bear fruit. You would not expect uh, my little Sarah to get married just at the moment because she's only whatever age she is, eight. I got it right this time. She always says, Daddy, that's wrong. Uh, she's eight. Now there's no way she'll be fruit bearing yet. She's not of age. And so, don't get in condemnation. If so be you've come into Christ and you haven't developed yet in him, there's got to come a time where you develop into a natural and the love relationship where fruit is born. But it's not an instantaneous thing. It takes time and development in the spiritual life in the same as in the natural. But, what happens to those who grow and don't bear fruit? That worries me. They're barren. There's something wrong. And in Jude, you get a warning about it. You know, it's put down in Jude. Uh, and verse 11, it talks about it. Um, but woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, 
foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now you'll notice there, there was the fruit less ones. Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Now there are people who can come in and basically there's something wrong. Now if you go back earlier in the chapter you'll see who is referring to it. Um, verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Now, you can have a real salvation, but if it doesn't end in the right purpose that God intended, there's something wrong. If you're saved, but the intention that God had isn't accomplished, then something's gone wrong. And so we need to go back. And those were the people who were clouds without water. I believe they're getting plenty in South Africa at the moment, clouds without water. They're not getting any rain. Uh, and so people are starving. Judgment of God. Well, I don't know. God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. There's volcanoes erupting. Why in China they had seven pound weight hailstones. Killed 200 of them. An umbrella wouldn't help you with a seven pound hailstone coming down on your head, would it? Uh, but there you are. Killed them. And I think there's a time of signs in the heavens and signs on the earth. And man needs to begin to look at his soul and examine himself. Terrible floods, earthquakes, volcanoes erupting. Strange things are happening all around the world. Now I'm not one of those who's come and wants to walk around with a placard, beware, the end is at hand, you know. Um... God deliver us from that. But I think God's trying to speak to people. And don't get me wrong. I don't think that God shut off the rain from South Africa. Because the blacks haven't got a vote. That's lunacy. I mean look what happened when they got one in Rhodesia. They go out killing each other. God deliver us from that kind of liberty. You know one day politics doesn't play much part in it all. I tell you that now. God appoints the rulers and that's the end of it. Some rule and some serve. And if you're a servant, don't try and be a ruler. And if you're a ruler, don't try and be a servant. That's what the scripture says. And someday we want to learn those lessons. Always worries me when the smug British people sit in their little cosy homes, if they are cosy, in England with the uncosy weather outside and criticize those who have to live in those conditions. I went to Uganda. And believe me, I saw when Armin was there, he just got power. Wicked man, devil inspired. And in one night, they chopped off the heads of 200,000, uh, 20,000 rather, people, and slung their bodies in the lake. The only reason they ever fished them out was because the water went putrid and the soldiers were all getting ill drinking it. 
But, I mean, that's the way they are. They were of a different tribe, so you murder them. But there are awful things happening in the earth. But don't get the wrong idea. They happen, you know, time and chance happeneth to every man. And God indicates things are going wrong by outward manifestations. But what I'm saying to you is don't come to the wrong conclusions. Fools would get the wrong conclusions from it. And wouldn't judge the thing aright. We need to judge it aright. But the scripture's clear and tells us things in very, very clear terms. And thank God for it. There are people who are troubled. They come out of Egypt, but the trouble is they don't go to where God intends, which is the promised land. And what does it mean? Well, it's all explained in Numbers chapter 14. If you just turn there, you will find the explanation. Numbers 14. And it's the story... Numbers 14. And it's the story in verse 1 of the congregation who had sent spies into the promised land and they came back. And they had the report, uh, and verse 33 of the last chapter, verse th chapter 13 might, um, uh, verse 32 will tell you. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it were are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord Bored us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. Now you know the strange thing is that's exactly what happens in the human heart. And it's a picture of the human heart. You get saved, you get forgiven your sins, you get delivered and you lose a consciousness for a time of any enemy. And you seem to throw it on a cloud. And then God begins to move you into a different realm. That's the realm of learning to possess your soul. And as soon as God's spirit begins to move you into that realm you suddenly find there are giants in the land. You get to meetings and suddenly you find that there are things in you that you didn't even know were there. 
10 years ago, you weren't even aware of them. You weren't aware of your emotional problems. You weren't aware of your mix-ups inside. You weren't aware of your uh, wrong ideas. You weren't aware of your mixed emotions. You weren't aware of the fears. You weren't aware of the torments, the resentments, the bitterness. Nothing you were aware of. And oh, you were saved and Jesus was wonderful. And then when the Lord brings us to the place of Jordan, which is the cross, and signifies the cross, which is the separation. It's when the cross, the Spirit of God, begins to work in the soul of man, we suddenly discover where our enemies are. They're not some devil or demon. The giants don't depict that. It's not some outward thing. The real enemy is myself. God wants to deal with the you and the me. You say, well, aren't we delivered? No, we're delivered from sin. But you see, sin's power operates through self. And the fallen nature needs dealing with. Now you say, but haven't I received the divine nature? True, that's what deals with the fallen nature. Well, wasn't I totally delivered? In your spirit, yes. Your spirit become, became one spirit with God's spirit at new birth. That is true. That's how you got out of Egypt. Egypt speaks of sin. You're out of that. But unfortunately, when God wants to move on in your life, there are giants in the land. And so the Lord brings you to a place and causes you to begin to view your land. And as you view it, it's not too healthy. Hmm? You begin to see problems that from a distance don't look bad. I've, I've often thought, have you ever climbed a mountain? One of the fascinating things with a mountain is it never looks half as bad from a good distance. I've looked at the mountain and I've thought, well, it'll take me an hour to get up there. It's not bad. And I began to climb. When I've got to the bottom, I began to climb. And you go quickly at first. And you arrive at the first peak and you feel you're getting near the top. And you see another peak. And you climb over that. And you see another one. And you see another one. And when you go over the next peak, there's a big valley. You have to go down about a quarter of the way before you go up again. And you think, I'm finally getting to the top. And you get up there and you suddenly glance up and you think, my. There's another one. It's about twice as far as I've already been. But I should be at the top by now. And so off you trudge again. Have you ever done that? The nearer you are to a mountain, the, the nearer the peak seems, and all the way up it seems to somehow go further and further away. And really in our lives and our souls, you know, it's good viewing the land from a distance. The mountains don't look too terrible. Really, they don't look bad at all. But when you actually begin to possess your soul, then suddenly you discover what it's all about. Now that is not an experience, and don't delude yourself with the kind of Methodist teaching 
uh, of sanctifications experience you enter into and it's all done that is total delusion that was one thing Wesley got totally wrong one of the things you see your life needs dealing with and God takes time and strangely enough he didn't say to the children of Israel he promised them the land he told them it was theirs he said go in and possess it but he didn't just wipe out all the enemies he said now you've got to possess it and start with Jericho and so in they went they fought Jericho and you know they went on and progressively the battle each area had to be fought and won and taken and then they moved on to the next now there is no way that there's a once and for all experience and the strange thing is in our lives that when we win a battle we think everything's won you can sit down and you think you've done it all and then you start on the next one and our walk with God is a progressive walk. It is not instantaneous. There has to be perseverance. Now with the children of Israel that got out of Egypt, the problem was they wouldn't believe God. They'd come straight to the boundary where they could go in. Now I tell you, people do one of two things. And it's one of two things that people arrive at when they are converted and you can judge which one you're of is well there's three ways to go now it comes to me three ways okay the first way is I come out of the land of Egypt I know I'm saved I know God's forgiven me I know I'm cleansed and I take the view suddenly that I have to live with the old man and when I get to heaven I'll be changed you know it's going to be a fight and when I get to heaven I'll be changed so all I need to do every night is confess my sin ask God for forgiveness and everything's alright now that's the first way and there's a lot of people who rest in that and walk around in the desert for the rest of their lives feeling well it's all right I'm saved I know I'm saved I know God's filled me with the spirit I know I'm set free I know I'm forgiven I know I'm on my way to heaven and so round and round in the desert they go if when they sin they confess to God now that is most superficial their spirits will be saved as by fire that's true but I wouldn't like to risk that. They'll suffer loss because what they've built will only be wood, hay and stubble. So they're going to suffer loss and it's going to be burnt up with unquenchable fire. But their spirit will be saved in the day of Jesus Christ because they truly believed. But they'll die in the wilderness. Then there's the other type. who goes up to the promised land and looks in sees the giants loses heart begins to curse God and said it would be better if I'd stayed in the world I was happier there 
What's the point in having been converted? They've lost their joy and suddenly they become all morose. And they become the kind of Job's comforters in the church. Go to them and share some difficulty. Oh, everyone suffers from that. <laughs> you know the type? You can meet them. The sufferers. They should go and join the suffragettes and chain themselves to some railings. That's where their spirit's chained. Terrible people. Unbelief-ridden. Tell you no one can be free. And then, thank God, there's the other type. It's the type of person who realizes, just a minute, God wants to deliver me through and through. I'm not prepared to rest in sins forgiven. Where is the earnest of my heaven? I don't want to rest in a partial deliverance. I want to see my whole soul flooded. I want God to be glorified in my life. I want to deal with these enemies of my soul. I want to deal with the resentments. I want to deal with the inward thoughts. I want to deal with the inward things. I want God to really come and change my personality. To change my thoughts. To change my attitudes. To heal the wounds. To make good the things that are wrong. To straighten the paths. I want God to deal with me. David prayed, deal with me bountifully, O Lord. And they're the people that begin not to get unbelief when things go wrong and they see problems in their life, but there's something within them that rises up and says, I'll fight. God is for me, who can be against me? Okay, it's an enemy of my soul, but God, I'm not going to surrender. I want it dealt with. Now I want to say in this area, um, beware, there's the demonologists who believe that it's a demon. You know, they talk about this junk of demon of this and demon of that. It's not. And it can never be cast out because you can't cast your own soul out. Although I've seen people trying to cough them up, spew them out and do all sorts of things. You won't get rid of it that way. Stupid people, they should know better. You can't get rid of your soul, nor the problems in your soul by trying to cough them out or spew them out. They won't go. Oh, you get alleviation because the devil likes to leave people in delusion, so he gives you an apparent feeling of deliverance, but it doesn't last. And that's the delusion of it all, this demonology talk. People who do it and live in it are usually full of it. And you see, you can produce all sorts of effects by faith and psychologically bring them into people's lives. But that's another thing. But the thing is this, our problem isn't that. Our problem is really our mixed emotions. And I'm not talking about your Rolls Royce going over the cliff with your mother-in-law in. I'm talking about, you know... You're kind of, well that's what was the definition of mixed emotions. Um, I'm talking about, sorry if you don't think that would be mixed emotion for you. I'm talking about the kind of twisted attitudes we have in our soul. The twisted ideas, the twisted resentments the feelings, resentments against God. 
A lot of people resent God. Calamities happen, people blame God. You know, it's not... Believe me, there are preachers who go about, who, you know, take the name it, claim it, the faith churches in America. They go about, and um, you know, Hagen and Copeland, wicked men. And I say that advisedly and correctly. They are. They're, they're preaching something that is not true. Because a disaster happens doesn't mean that you're wrong with God. Things do go wrong. Accidents happen. And then people turn around and, and terrify people by telling them, judgment of God. It's not the judgment of God. God's not about to zap you or stamp on you or crush you into the ground if you do something wrong. Accidents happen. Your body breaks down sometimes. It's just that you've got an old vessel around there, a pot of clay, and sometimes it breaks down. Things go wrong with it. It's not the judgment of God. It's just your old vessel's breaking down. And the older you get, the more broken down it gets. And anyway, you're going to put it off and get a glorified body. But it's nothing to do. Sometimes it's to do with sin and it's the dealings of God. But generally speaking, it can be something totally different. And these people go about and say, if you've got faith, you'll never get sick. If you've got faith, no calamity will happen. What delusion. Circumstances and time and chance happeneth to every man. Every man. Things happen. Circumstances go wrong. For instance, if that were true, um, I was on a plane with this chap from Nigeria. Black guy sat behind me on the plane and I heard him listening to tapes. So I turned around and I said, oh, you know, you're a Christian, because he was playing chorus, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, you know, where have you been? Well, I've been to a conference. I said, oh, what type of conference was that? Well, with Kenneth Copeland. I thought, oh. And then he started telling me how you could live a perfect life with prosperity and perfect health. And I said, well, what about Paul? What do you mean about Paul? Well, you know, pray for him. Or let's take Timothy. Told to take a little wine for his stomach's sake and for his oft infirmities. Ah, well, he said, if you'd got the revelation. or No, he said, if you, he'd had the revelation Kenneth Copeland's got, he wouldn't have been ill. At that point, I turned around and I said, Buster, you keep your revelation. I'll keep my understanding of God. I mean, what delusion. Kenneth Copeland reckons he's got a greater revelation than Paul had. And Peter had. What delusion. Hope none of you had ever wasted time reading his junk. Terrible thing to say that. And I disbelieve it totally. If a disaster happens to you, it happens. Now, Christ will see you through it. But don't think you're kind of going to be in a, a glass capsule like a spaceman. No germ's going to touch you now because you're a Christian. Now you're walking by faith in the belief of perfect health. Your teeth won't decay. Why bother cleaning them? Now you're in perfect uh, unity with God. You're going to find that your body will function perfectly. Your circumstances are going to be all light and sweetness. Well, if you believe it, you're going to get very disappointed when things go wrong. There was a church in, I can't remember where we went to, though, Tulsa. 
Ruth? Was it Tulsa? Where's that funny church we went to? Name it, claim it. Where's Oral Roberts? It is Tulsa, Oklahoma. Did go to Tulsa. Oh, was it Tulsa? Oh, it's Springfield. Springfield, is that right? Springfield, Missouri is near there? No, well, it's near. It's nearby. Anyway, we went to this church and they'd, they'd got this doctrine. Name it, claim it. And this pastor, his wife, contracted cancer. So, do you know what they did? They excommunicated him because he hadn't got faith and got another pastor in. His wife wasn't healed, so they threw him out. I mean, you can't have someone who's negative. I mean, what a wicked way to treat people. They threw this pastor out. You know, if you'd got the real faith that you preach, your wife wouldn't get cancer. So they threw him out, and they got someone else in, and they called that Christianity. There was another church on the west coast that was absolutely thriving. Nothing would ever go wrong, they told the people. Nothing. And I think it got 4,000 people in it. It was flourishing. Everyone, health, prosperity, perfect love, everything. The Lord's here, you know, get it all. And they were putting up their placards. They were selling it down the river. And what happened? Assistant pastor went on holiday with his family. And I think he took two other children with him. Had a blowout of his front tower. Went across a reservation straight head on into a lorry. Bang! And that was the end of them. Well, the pastor didn't have a church after a fortnight. He had funerals. But who was going to come to a church that told you that you never had problems, that when God was looking after you, nothing ever went wrong? And suddenly the assistant pastor, the whole family, and a couple of kids are wiped out in one go. What delusion to preach that type of thing to people. Christ keeps us and though I walk through the shadow valley of the shadow of death I'll fear no evil the scripture says but it doesn't say I won't ever have to walk through the valley and you see what the children of Israel thought when they knew there was deliverance from Egypt they thought yippee God's promised us a promised land hallelujah we're off they went out, they had their little bit of feast, and then they murmured because there wasn't decent water to drink. God gave them water. Then they murmured because they thought they were going to starve. God gave them manna. Then they get to the borders of the promised land, and instead of just being able to walk in, put their feet up, and possess everything with milk and honey kind of flowing on their table, they found there were one or two enemies to deal with. Hmm. I thought when I came to Jesus, all my problems would be over. Well, there's a lot of people that believe that. I would come and say to you, when you come to Jesus, all your problems begin. That's the truth. Your problems begin. Up till then, you haven't had that big a problem with yourself. With sin you've had a problem, but with self, no. But once you come into Christ, and once you're delivered from the territory of sin, and once you begin to believe in Jesus and you begin to walk, you suddenly discover there are enemies in you. 
You yourself, your nature, your being, your emotions, your mind, which needs dealing with. And there's areas in that which rise up like big giants. And you weren't even aware of them. For all those years, you lived in total blissful ignorance of them. And one day you try and live a holy life and there's this blithering great hairy giant right in front of you. Then where do you come from? Now he'd been there all the time. The lights got switched on and you suddenly see him in his grotesque form. With his 12 fingers and 22 toes. And you think, where have you come from? Certainly not out of the sugar puffs. And you begin to wonder, is this me? And you start a battle, and there are fights. There are fights. Now, up to the point where you get to the border where you want to deal with your own life, and you want God to deal with your life, up to that point, things are sweetness and light. Oh, Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, and they sing that for the Bible tells me so. And they'll sing little ditties. I once went to a founding trust conference. I was speaking there. And I listened to them singing a little ditty about lock the little devil up in a little wooden box. And I was asked to preach after that. They were singing it. They're grown people. Well, I mean, they, they were old people. Grown, I wouldn't like to slander grown people with such a statement that they were grown and there they were singing these clapping you know singing these little choruses we'll lock the little devil up in a little wooden box and so I was asked to preach after that now what do you say to people who've got it all so I got up and I said you know I heard your chorus you sung just now I want to tell you something the devil's got all you locked up in a little wooden box The joy suddenly dissipated. I was never invited back. Can't figure out why. Just don't appreciate the truth. Told them straight. I'm in delusion. And I led a lot of people into delusion, did that renewal movement. Lies and promises that weren't true. Now look, God promises you a fight and a war. Now, I don't expect peace. Jesus said, you think I've come to bring peace, says Jesus. I've come to bring a sword. But Jesus, I thought you were all loving, all merciful. You were going to make it all sweet and rosy in the garden. Well, as I said, there's the old pruner there with the second tears. Watch out. He'll cut you down to size. And then there's the place where God wants to deal with our lives. Now, look. If I sing in my life, Lord, be thou glorified, and I sing it as a prayer, I want to tell you what you were singing for. You were singing that God would turn the light on and cause the giants to rage. You were singing that God would send the enemies, he'd send hornets. And he'd drive the enemies out of their hidey holes. And suddenly your soul would be flooded with problems. What did you think you were praying for? In my life. And you think a little halo comes. You know, a Colgate smile. Teeth deep. In my life, Lord. And you think that's the way it's going to be. I'm going to be so, so kind of 
Now that's not Christianity, that's delusion. You get the evangelist smile. And, and it sticks like jelly to their faces. There's people like that, they kind of, and they're ever so polite and ever so... And they make me feel, yeah, because they're so unreal. They're like cardboard cutouts. I'm sure you know if you've met those type of people what I mean. Oh, praise the Lord, brother, praise the Lord. Mm. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. <laughs> kind of sticks in the back of the you know when they say it it's awful they're not Christians not in the way God means it to be look when you say in my life Lord be thou glorified God's glorified when your personality and your nature within is changed and that is a battle that you'll have till your dying day God is going to cleanse your soul and cleanse your inward being and change your personality and your image until it becomes like his glorious image. And I'm afraid when that has to happen, there's a lot of rough work to do on you. When you get a diamond and you pick it out of a diamond, it doesn't look like the glittering thing women like to put on their fingers. It looks like a bit of rough old stone. And you'll find jewelers who look at these through microscopes and spend all their time looking at these dirty old rocks that they've cleaned up a bit. And they'll decide how they're going to cut it. And people earn fortunes just knowing how to cut the stone to get the most precious gem out of it and how to polish it. How to make sure that they take the part that's got no flaw in it. And years and years, no black spot. And they look at this big old bit of thing and you look at it and you think, how can that be beautiful? And yet a jeweler will take it and he'll cut out. God looks at you. This old lump of rock. Crusty old, rusty old you. Crummy, crooked. And he looks and he doesn't need a microscope. His eyes are all right. He eyes you up, he eyes you down, and from side to side. And the Holy Ghost, that great tool of God, says, well, I reckon you hit him just there. Now, if you hit him in the wrong place, a diamond, it can just powder. That's why they're so careful. And God knows exactly where to hit you. He doesn't want to powder you. He wants to make a precious jewel for the crown of Christ. But there's a lot to be cut away. There's a lot that's unusable. There's a lot that's marred and got flaws in it. God won't use that part. Now, when the jeweler comes to cutting away and dealing with the thing, you know, it is something that is quite drastic. It's not something that you can do. There's no good polishing it up and putting this hunk of rock on, on the mantelpiece. It won't look beautiful. It has to be finely cut and finely polished. And you might get a big hunk and end up with something like that from that. And you think, goodness me, how can I waste all that? Well, that's it. 
God, you know, isn't concerned with the big you. He's concerned with the small part that's worth redeeming to the uttermost. And there are a lot of things in your life which over a period of years are going to go. He's going to take the old chisel and mallet to it and he's going to take one look and it'll be something that you'll have a big fight over and suddenly the Holy Ghost is going to bring the mallet down. It says God's words like a hammer. And suddenly that chisel's going to go whack, right through and you'll find a lump of you's missing. Now don't worry, it won't wound you. It'll be a blessed deliverance. And then he'll get you in the vice again and he'll turn you around after stunning you. And then he'll place the chisel very gently on the next spot. And, and another bit's gone. But he doesn't do it all at once. There's one thing he doesn't do. He doesn't get some tool like a big wheel and chuck the rock underneath and say, there you are, grind it to powder. He's not interested in that. He'll do it bit by bit and he'll perfect you and chop things off. Now we find in our lives we want it all done in one fell swoop, don't we? I was told by charismatics that you could come and Jesus would give it to you all. You could be totally delivered, totally free, totally healthy, totally this, totally that. And I found they were totally wrong. It never happened. I tried. Now, my next explanation was, well, maybe I haven't experienced it yet. Did you try that one? You know, these people that proclaimed it, I thought they must have it. So I thought, well, maybe my experience is lacking. So what I really need is a real infilling of the Holy Ghost. I mean, God did fill me, but now what I need is a real infilling. And so I was looking for an infilling which would make me a saint. And I was waiting for it. I was sure that there was some experience which would totally sanctify me inside. If you find it, let me know. I tell you there isn't one. You see, God will deal with our souls over a period of time. And he cannot do it any other way. And that's why the children of Israel were shown the promised land. And look at the spirit. Now what we mustn't do is get discouraged when we see that God wants to deal with things. There's things in your life where they'll rise up and you'll wonder whether you're ever converted. How can that be in my life if I've really met God? Well, don't worry. That's not the worst. The worst is yet to come. I can't understand how I could do such a thing. Poor you. You haven't got much clue of what you're really like. You see, there are things that God has to do in our lives and as they begin to be manifest in the light, then we begin to wonder, Lord, did I really meet you? Of course you did. Now, God's answering your prayer. You're saying, in my life, Lord, be thou glorified. He said, all right, try this jump for size. You look and you think, it's like Goliath well don't worry you can be like David but it's terrifying quite right but my heart fails me absolutely but the Lord's with you and you see there were all these spies that came back and the whole congregation and there are people that discourage you 
Have you ever heard someone say, you know, this is happening in my life, that's going, what's the use of going on? I thought God had done it. No use, no use going on. I've heard people talk like that. They're almost accusing God. Wickedness. That's what the children of Israel did. Now you must murmur against God. You've got to have the spirit of Joshua. And look in verse 6. And Joshua the son of Nun. And Caleb the son of Jephunneh. Which were of them that searched the land. Rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel saying. The land which we pass through to search it. Is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us. Then he will bring us into this land. And will give it us. A land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of that land. For they are bread for us. Their defences departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. Now, look, don't be afraid of problems in your life. God's with you. Don't start questioning whether he'll deliver you. He will. But look at it, that a walk with God is sweetness, it's light and it's joy. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. All you've got to do is get rid of the odd giant here and there. Well, that's all. And God will be with you. Now don't rebel against God. And that's the one thing our hearts do when the problems hit us, we don't like it. We get a bit bitter about it. I don't know why God didn't set me free. What's God doing? Why is this happening to me? And we answer against God. Now don't rebel against God. When the things happen, you've got to believe God. Look at the benefits you have received. Don't look at a giant. You don't want to become ugly like the thing that bothers you. Keep looking at it and you'll become like it. Keep looking at Christ and crying out to him and you'll find God will set you free. It's where you set your attention. If you set your attention on your problem, you'll become bigger in your problem. If you set your attention on Jesus Christ, you'll find the problem becomes smaller. In fact, it gets down to a manageable size. And then God deals with it. You just cut it out. That's what deliverance is. Now what people do not understand is that forgiveness is coming out of Egypt and coming into the wilderness deliverance is going into the promised land the cross Jordan marks the entrance and from that point in and don't forget Gilgal the place of circumcision and from that point in the enemies are dealt with by self-denial and by coming to God and by continual cleansings and dealings until they're totally destroyed now don't ever get the feeling you're back in Egypt you're not you've come out God's doing well but when you sing the song, In my life, Lord, be thou glorified. Understand what you're singing. God wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to multiply in the land. But before you can really be fruitful, the enemies of your soul need dealing with. The bigger enemies need dealing with first. And you'll find that then you'll be, be able to live in the land. But you won't be able to live in all of it. But it will give you enough room so you can have a nice habitation. 
and then he'll stir up a few enemies, send a few hornets in to stir them up so they can't remain hidden, and then you'll discover there's a few more fights to go. That's what, in my life, Lord, be thou glorified, is praying. Is that what you were praying? We need to be delivered of people that are delivered, of people that are set free. That is what bearing fruit unto God means. We become more like Jesus every day. And that has to happen by my dealing with the enemies of my soul. Now don't rebel against God and don't get sour like the other spies did. Be like Joshua. And Joshua, well he means saviour. And it's interesting, the son of Nun. That means perseverance. That's what the name means in the Hebrew. And you see, Joshua had one thing in his nature, perseverance. He'd carry on through, or continuation. In other words, he'd set his course and he was going to go through with it. Um, Caleb, the name goes out of my mind at the moment. I, um, but it... Uh, I can't remember. But the thing is, the son of Nun was one who continued. And we mustn't be like those who are unbelieving. We've come out of Egypt. Let's go on in and pre press into the promised land. Let's sing that song before we go, shall we? In my life, Lord. Understand what you're singing. Understand that there are going to be battles. God's going to cause you to have to deal with things. And it's going to be uh, a time of conflict. But the glorious thing is the Lord's with you. He'll deliver you. He'll set you free. But don't ever think and don't let anyone kid you that you're not saved. Of course you are. Don't ever anyone ever try and tell you that what you had wasn't real. Of course it was. But lights come now. Light has come into the soul. A new realm's opened up in God. And suddenly you realize it's not all finished. God wants to change us within. He wants to make us afresh. He wants to deal with those things in our nature that he finds offensive. He wants the beauty of his glory to shine out. And because he wants that, there's war. Not because he wants to hurt us, but because he loves us so much, he wants to destroy the things in our lives which hurt. In my life, Lord. Lord, I want there to be a war, don't you? Against your enemies. Against the things that would hurt my soul and separate it from thee in my life. I want that prayer to be prayed. I want that prayer to be prayed from the depths of my soul, but I want understanding. I don't want to come into a delusion of believing it's something other than what it is. It's a declaration, oh God, I want you to deal with me. 
I know I'm saved, I know I'm cleansed, I know I'm forgiven. But deal with my soul nature. Come. Come gracious spirit. In my life. The only glory God will get is when his life shines through you. When his nature is exemplified in your life. When the beauty of Jesus is seen in you. It's not man's beauty. God's. What God calls precious man despised. Man with wicked hands took the Christ of God and crucified him. And it was the religious people that did it. In my life, Lord, be thou glorified. Would you like to sing that to him tonight? Knowing what it means? Saying, oh God, if it means a war, a fight, so be it. I want you to change my whole being till it's like yours. I want you to change me inside. Come with a hammer, come with a chisel, cut off what's so wrong. Lord, cause me to fight my enemies, but in my life, the life that surrendered to Thee, Lord, I want it to be a place where You're glorified. Be glorified. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, O oh God, Come and be glorified. Can you sing it to him with that longing and hope? Knowing there's a great price to pay. He hasn't come to bring just peace. There is war. There is division. There are trials to go through. There's painful things that will happen. There is a cross to bear. There's no way round the cross. There's no way round suffering. Not really. Will you walk with him? He loves you. He'll be with you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll be there. His rod and his staff to comfort. When you walk upon the mountains, he'll be there. When you're in the fiercest battle, the sorest temptation, he'll be there. Do you want to walk that way with him? Do you want to possess the land? Don't fear. Don't rebel. Go in. God will give it you. He wants to give it you. He wants to do the work. He wants to set you free. He
you understand it now a little better? Sometimes we pray things and we don't understand. But oh, how wonderful when you do and you still sing it to him. How wonderful when a man sees the price and says, nevertheless, Lord, I want it. It's the land you promised me. Though there be a million giants, oh God, you've said go. I cannot stay. Though there be torment, You've said possess it. I cannot go back. I won't go back. I won't hover outside. I won't live in anything less than the highest. There's a call within my soul that says go in, go on. There's a persevering spirit within me that says I won't be defeated in my life. Lord, be thou glorified. Let thy word run in our hearts. Let that song become the song of our soul. Till our whole lives are consumed with it. Till our one desire is to glorify thee. Lord, and everything in our lives is to that end. Lord, let there come a cry within each soul. A longing. Let us go in and fight the fight. Let us, O oh God, pay the price. Let us feel the wounds. Understand what you're doing. Lord, forgive us for the times we have kicked. We haven't understood. 
we fear. Lord, bless each one. Keep each one. Lord, and let your word be fruitful. Don't let it return void, O God. Each heart. Lord, let it become a fruitful place. In Jesus' name. In